to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm the editor of BMJ Journal Injury Prevention. Each month I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner and together we explore the narrative of their injury prevention careers. My guest today is Professor Brent Hagel. Professor Hagel is Acting Deputy Head of Research, Child and Family Health Research Unit at the Cumming School of Medicine, University of Calgary. Hello, Brent. Could you give us some local flavour, please, and tell us a little bit about where you're currently working? Uh, thank you, Rod. So I'm at the, uh, the Department of Pediatrics and Community Health Sciences at the University of Calgary. I've been uh, here for about 14 years now. My area is uh, injury prevention, children and adolescents, uh, with a focus on um, sport and recreational injuries and, and traffic-related injuries. Thanks, Brent. Could you, for those of us who are not um, familiar with Alberta or, or Canada in, in general, could you give us a sense of the context in which this uh, health provision system works and the size of the metropolis and the size of the, uh, the, the rural areas around you? Calgary, um, we're approximately 1.3 million people. Um, you know, we've grown a lot uh, in the last uh, 10 years or so, and, and some of that's related to the, the opportunities in the, uh, the oil patch. And um, in that context, I think there's been a lot of change, uh, certainly to, to the infrastructure, uh, to the municipal landscape, um, a lot of urban sprawl, and, uh, and certainly that's influenced my my research direction and my interest area, uh, moving from, I would say, more of the sport and recreational context through to the looking at the traffic environment and ways to get kids active, but make sure, making sure they're safe in, in those, uh, those contexts. So did you start out in injury prevention from the beginning? Uh, I started out um, actually working with a, a sport medicine professor, Dr. Willem Mewissa, I'm one of the, the key researchers in the Sport Medicine Center uh, at the University of Calgary, and he introduced me really to the, the idea of studying injuries, uh, that they have causal aspects to them and they're not just accidents. And so uh, he talked to me early on about building predictive models for athletic injuries, and I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, it was sort of a paradigm shift for me at that point. Uh, and then I took that. Um, to look at the uh, one of the, the key considerations, I think, for sport and recreational injuries, skiing and snowboarding in, in Canada and other snow-blessed countries. Um, and so we did a, a study looking at uh, the determinants of skiing and snowboarding injuries in southern Alberta. Uh, that led me to um, go on and work with uh, Barry Pless at, the, uh, at McGill University. Uh, taking that further to, to explore the effect of uh, protective equipment, mainly helmet use in skiers and snowboarders. What was your basic undergraduate degree training? Uh, I actually did a Bachelor of Physical Education. Right, right. So most of your colleagues probably didn't go into research with the basic training that you had. So what piqued your interest or why, why were you inspired to do a, be a researcher? Uh, I think, the, you know, when... I was exposed to the, the whole area of epidemiology. Mm -hmm. um, the, 
the quant more of the quantitative aspects of um, of the research, the the methodologic rigor, and the ability to um, potentially affect change in a lot of the things that were going on with athletic injuries at the time. Um, you know, exploring various determinants, um, even thinking about causal mechanisms and and what does causation mean in the context of injury? Uh, and I've spent basically the last uh, 20 some odd years looking at those kinds of problems through that lens. Okay. So you, you ended up in, at McGill University and what did you do there? Uh, I, I was very fortunate to, um, to apply to McGill uh, to work with Dr. Barry Pless, um, who is um, in my view, um, one of the foundational leaders in the field of injury prevention and control in Canada, not uh, known throughout the world. Uh, I think um, he brought an insight and a passion to the area that uh, really excited me. I, you know, moving to McGill University, that's on the other side of the country, um, from uh, my small town, Calgary Beginnings, uh, to the big metropolis of, of Montreal and McGill. Uh, it was just a really unique opportunity to work with uh, an amazing uh, mentor. Right. And I'm guessing the first paper you've chosen to talk about today must have come from around about that time. Is that right? Uh, exactly. Yes. So, um, you know, when I was going through my master's degree here at the University of Calgary, um, again, the, these ideas were fairly new to me that you would study injuries in this way. Um, trying to remove the, the idea that they're accidents or, or chance events. Uh, and looking at the methodologic rigor um, of the, the study by um, Thompson et al., published in JAMA in 1996, uh, and that work, I have to say, built on uh, their previous study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, evaluating the effectiveness of bicycle safety helmets in preventing head injuries. This was a, a prospective case control study um, looking at addressing some of the, the previous concerns that had come up with an evaluation of helmet use in bicycling. They, they sought to explore uh, the effectiveness of helmets in different age groups, so that idea of effect measure modification. Um, and they also wanted to address the concerns about crashes involving motor vehicles and, and look at crash circumstances. Uh, to try and address some of the arguments around do cautious people wear helmets or do helmets cause people to do things that they normally wouldn't do uh, or feel comfortable doing. So, you know, their, their look at um, gathering cases from the emergency departments in Seattle and fatalities that occurred uh, involving the head or brain controls as those presenting to the same emergency department with a non-head injury this was an innovative um, idea to me that you could use this kind of numerator data. Uh, and they're finding that really helmets were protective in all age groups and under a variety of circumstances. I just felt it, um, it filled the gap in the literature. Um, and so I think that that aspect of the paper uh, helps dispel the myth that control groups in case control study need to be healthy individuals um, when their function, the control group's function is really to represent the source population in terms of exposure experience. And so in this case, um, trying to get that, that idea of, of helmet use. That work was really foundational to trying to 
develop the methodology that I wanted to use for my PhD, looking at helmet effectiveness and skews and snowboarders. Right. There's a, a nice serendipitous um, overlap a little between your experience in McGill as a, in, en passant and uh, the paper you've identified as one of the other papers you'd like to talk about from Roberts et al. How does this fit into your story? What intrigued me uh, about the, the Roberts et al. paper, um, looking at the urban traffic environment and the risk of child pedestrian injury, was this case crossover approach. Um, so the, the case crossover design was originally developed by um, McClure to examine the effect of transient exposures on acute outcomes. Uh, and, and that was done in the context of cardiovascular outcomes. And as a clinician, McClure asked a simple question to, to derive that study design. Were you doing anything unusual leading up to the event uh, of an MI? And so they did their case crossover study to examine the effect of traffic volume and speed on pedestrian injury risk during the, the school home journey for uh, children between the ages of five and 15 years old. Um, so they looked, you know, again, this is the unique feature of that, of that piece of work is that they didn't need a, a separate control group. You know, if they're asking the question, were you doing something unusual leading up to the event? They took that, that notion and applied it to uh, the school home journey and looked at case streets as those where the child was struck by a motor vehicle and control streets were the other streets that the child normally crossed to get to and from school. Uh, so then they were able to go back and objectively measure uh, vehicle volume and speed uh, over a three hour time period centered on um, the time of school start or the time uh, of school end the same day of the week. So, you know, again, the comparisons here were volume and speed of the case and control streets within an individual. So for me, that, that was an excellent article. Um, continuing uh, Ian Roberts' um, wonderful work on the prevention of child pedestrian injuries uh, using a novel design um, that was only very recently um, invented, really. Um, and they were, through that, they were able to get around those challenges of finding a control group to represent the source population that produced the cases. Um, in this situation, that was completely addressed by using each case as his or her own control. The um, added benefit, of course, is that you get uh, fine control for other characteristics that may be confounding um, the relationships between, in this case, traffic speed and volume and, and the outcome of pedestrian injury because it's the same children. So you've got that fine control. Um, and the other part of that is um, usually in, in many situations, the case crossover design is, is criticized because of the potential for a misclassification bias in terms of people remembering their exposures over time periods in the past um, from the time of an outcome event. But here, um, as long as the, the parents were reasonably accurate in the streets that the children crossed, um, they could go and measure the characteristics of, of those case and control streets and make those really fine comparisons. We've done some work looking at that approach in, uh, in skiing and snowboarding where we took um, presence of helmet use uh, on the day of a, of a head injury and looked at um, prior outings. You know, we can debate whether or not that's as strong. I don't think it is as, as the Roberts approach that they used for the, the traffic safety um, context. 
And of course, Roberts went from New Zealand. I mean, he's an English uh, British researcher, isn't he? So he spent some time in New Zealand and then worked with Barry Pless at McGill, um, probably just before or just after the time you were there. And then That's right. I came just after uh, Ian had left and, uh, and I've had the opportunity to interact with him uh, right. at conferences and such. And, uh, and he's helped me understand, you know, his approaches to, to these kinds of problems as well. It seems to me that over the while I've been talking to senior researchers in the field, that they've interwoven their experiences and their careers quite substantially. Is it a small field, do you think? Or is it just that uh, there are sections of the field where people spend their time? Uh, I think a little of both. Um, you know, certainly when we think about the Canadian landscape and injury prevention, uh, it's hard to get grant reviewers that, uh, you know, share the same country because we're all... Um, interconnected and and it's not a huge group a very obviously very passionate group but um, but not a huge group of researchers focusing in on these area on the area of injury prevention and control which is can be nice too because you get to know the the individuals working in your area um, or more you know broad areas of, of injury prevention fairly well and to some extent, as you say, build off each other's work. And your third paper is a nice example of that, isn't it? Because Haddon has been referred to by a number of senior researchers as one of the formative uh, writers of their early careers. And you've referred to a paper here, of one of our current colleagues who's developing some of the theories of Haddon. Could you talk a little bit about that as the final paper? Sure. Um, I think this is really... Um, innovative work. Um, this is um, Dr. Runyon uh, exploring using the Hayden matrix, introducing the third dimension, a paper published in Injury Prevention in 1998. Um, I think Dr. Runyon's work here builds on the conceptual framework that Hayden developed to identify strategies for the prevention of injuries. Borrowing principles from the field of public health, Hayden's two-dimensional matrix characterized injury problems and prevention opportunities in terms of a host or individual agent and environment, uh, both physical and social characteristics on one axis and timing in terms of pre-event, event, and post-event factors on the other axis. So in the article, Dr. Runyon applies the, the two-dimensional matrix to the problems of residential house fires caused by cigarette use and school violence by firearms. Uh, and I thought the examples she used illustrated how useful the matrix can be in identifying prevention strategies in the pre-event, event, and post-event phases. Um, so examples would be redesigning cigarettes to self-extinguish before igniting upholstery, and the modification of guns so they're only operable by the owner, and, and those would be agent-slash-pre-event strategies. Just applying that um, in a formal academic paper, I think, was, was useful. Uh, but then Dr. Runyon had the insight to add a, a third dimension to the Hayden matrix, reflecting the real-world decision-making process uh, that program planners and policymakers need to go through when deciding on a particular injury prevention strategy. When I was younger and naive, I thought, um, you know, really, if we can demonstrate a protective effect of, of helmets or, um, you know, a positive influence of, of a specific intervention in an injury context, that would be enough. Um, for the policymaker or the planner, but I like the idea that she applied policy analysis to the development of the third dimension or adding that third dimension to the Hayden's matrix. Um, not only is there problem identification and identification of different policy options, 
there's identification of values to be assessed relative to each option. So once prevention options are identified, the value criteria are used in that decision-making process. So those value criteria include, you know, perhaps more obvious factors like effectiveness of the intervention and cost, but also less obvious criteria like the freedom of a group to make decisions about their safety. You can think about examples here being motorcycle helmet legislation or bicycle helmet legislation, um, which is an area I'm familiar with, and equity of the intervention. So you can think about smoke detector giveaway uh, interventions in low-income areas or, or federally mandated childproof containers. And then it outlined the essential considerations in terms of making decisions about which strategies to utilize for a given intervention problem, really in a systematic way. Uh, and I think it brings in the policy analysis concepts to the intervention world to help practicing intervention professionals understand that safety and intervention effectiveness may not be the only considerations for which strategies policymakers and program planners choose. So uh, again, I thought it was an innovative approach and it brought in, um, you know, another discipline, this, this idea of policy analysis to the injury prevention field and formalized it. Brent, there's been a strong um, theme of you being attracted to concepts and methodologies and opportunities to advance science in your, in your discussion. But you've also touched occasionally on some recognition of the policy world and the advocacy world being uh, important aspects of injury prevention. Just to, and I am also very conscious that when we're talking to people who are at the top of the field, like yourself, there's, there's a, um, a, a interpersonal benefit from having knowledge transmitted from somebody who's actually been creating that knowledge. So as, as a take home message, for us all at the moment, is there something in your career which you felt has been that personal, like sort of exciting, passion-inspiring that you can leave us all with to see if we can get some sense of excitement about moving into the field of injury prevention and its possibilities? I think there's there's many instances where I've had um, excitement and and you know at different levels. Um, you know, from a methodologic point of view, I think there are real opportunities um, that excite me for gleaning, um, you know, perhaps administrative health data and using that information to um, examine etiologic relationships. I think um, the case crossover approach and case control studies for evaluation of protective equipment, uh, I think there are real opportunities there in terms of efficient study designs that can help us move the field forward in terms of understanding those risk factors. Um, and then I think there, broadly speaking, what excites me about injury prevention is there are opportunities for us to make a huge difference in the world. You know, injury is one of the, the leading problems for um, children and youth uh, and, and younger adults, um, but really is pervasive across the lifespan. Um, so, you know, small things even that we identify can potentially have a huge um, population or public health influence in terms of reducing the burden on the healthcare system, you know, not to mention the, uh, the societal uh, and the personal costs associated with injuries. So, you know, it sounds uh, cliche, but make the world a better place. Well, it's a good place to leave it, I think. Thank you very much for being our guest today, um, Brent.
Thank you very much for the opportunity. We've been listening to Professor Brent Hagel from the Cummings School of Medicine at the University of Calgary. For anyone wishing to learn more about the, some of the topics that we've covered this morning and read the papers, I encourage you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. Thank you.